Rockdale, W261AC Oswego, WTKWHD2 Bridgeport, ESPN Radio. of Orange Nation on ESPN Radio. ESPNSyracuse.com, the ESPN app, and of course on Facebook Live. Check it out on ESPN Syracuse, our Facebook page there. Got a lot to get to. We'll have Lazarus Sims coming up in about 15-20 minutes. We'll have Stephen Fonte checking in from Omaha, where we will learn everything you would ever care to know about Omaha, which is what's there, I guess. So we'll check in there with uh, with Steve. But I wanted to start off with SU and Duke, obviously, and 315-437-7644 is the number to call. And the more I think about this game, the more... The more I think and and worry, I don't know if worry about is the right word and term, but the more I think and worry about that great duo that Duke has in their back, in their front court, Marvin Bagley and Wendell Carter. Because when you look at the beginning of the game, the, the first game this season, when you look at the game played roughly a month ago, guard play was almost non-existent. Grayson Allen didn't have a good game. Trayvon Duvall didn't have a good game. Gary Trent didn't have a good game. Three-point shooting was terrible. But Marvin Bagley and Wendell Carter really led the way for that Duke team. Carried that Duke team to a win. And when you look back on it, that was the first game that went that Marvin Bagley played Coming back from injury, he was coming off the bench. He didn't play a full game. He didn't play, you know, his regular minutes. And I look at the two of them, and I say that could be a duo that can really cause some problems. It did about a month ago when Syracuse went down to Cameron, and I would imagine it will again tomorrow night. You look at the two of them, Bagley went 19-7, and and Carter went 16-10. and So they went 35 and 17 combined. And they showed their force. And Carter added in four assists. Those are the two guys that you have to watch out for. Sure, Grayson Allen's a nice player. Senior leadership has won a national title there the whole deal. And yes, Gary Trent is the three-point shooter. Pretty good one at that. But Wendell Carter and Marvin Bagley are the guys who scare me. Even though I'm more of the analytic type when it comes to let guys get two and defend the three. 
If you're going to let those guys get theirs, they'll beat you. And when you look at the zone and the weaknesses that the zone has and where you beat it, and it's at the high post and it's with baseline cutters and guys in the corner and kickouts, and we get that, right? Isn't Wendell Carter one of the more perfect players to stick in the high post that we've seen certainly this season? But in a pretty in a while here, isn't Wendell Carter that kind of player? So how does Syracuse adjust and react? Because they didn't defend it very well in the first game. Pascal Chukwu got into a lot of foul trouble. He only played, what, 15 minutes in that game? 24 minutes in that game before fouling out. Barama Sidibe only played nine minutes. He wasn't healthy. And Syracuse was forced to go small. Syracuse needs Pascal Chukwu to step up in this game. Doesn't have to be offensively. Doesn't have to score a bunch of points. Doesn't have to finish off a bunch of lobs. Would it be nice? Absolutely. But it doesn't need to happen. But he's got to be there defensively. He's got to be able to stay on the floor. And defend Wendell Carter and Marvin Bagley. Because I think that's where this game gets decided. I think that's ultimately where tomorrow night's game gets decided. In the paint. With those two. You know the ball is going to be in Bagley's hands at the end. Or in Carter's hands to get to Bagley at the end. So how do you stop them? Syracuse did a great job against Jaron Jackson. Now, Jackson only played 15 minutes. Not quite sure why, but I would I would venture to guess that Bagley and Carter will play more than 15 minutes tomorrow night. They're both healthy. Bagley back at full strength. And these two seem to be a perfect tandem to wreak havoc on the zone. It's going to be important for Syracuse's big guys to stay in the game. To give them good minutes defensively. Marek Dolezal. Pascal Chukwu. Namely. Barama Sidibe is going to have to help. Matt Moyer is going to have to help. O'Shea Brissett is going to have to help. But I really think Syracuse has to find a way to contain those two. If you can do that, I think you can take your chances with the guards. Force them into some long looks. Force them into some bad shots like you did against Michigan State and Arizona State and TCU. Right? Force them into shots they don't really want to take. Force them into looks that they aren't really truly comfortable with. But I don't want to see Marvin Bagley getting the ball two feet from the basket where he could just easily go up and flush it. We saw that enough a month ago. We saw that enough down at Cameron. So how do you make that adjustment and how do you change? I think the zone right now is playing better than it was a month ago. And that zone a month ago held Duke to 60 points and their worst offensive efficiency of the season. And I think they're playing better defense now than they were then. But I'm not sure 
if Pascal Chukwu can stay on the floor. I'm not sure if Barama Sidibe can come in and play good defense for you if Chukwu has to go out. Or at least good enough defense to the level that you need it to be. And I think those are the questions that need to be answered tomorrow night. If Syracuse is going to win this game, they're going to win this game the exact same way they won on Sunday, and they won last Friday, and they won last Wednesday. They're going to win the exact same way that they won those three. Grind it out, slow it down, and play lockdown defense. Hope that Duke misses some shots that maybe they normally would make, and then take advantage on the offensive end. You know, I mentioned this earlier with Duke, with that game a month ago, and that it was the Blue Devils' worst offensive efficiency of the season. It was also Syracuse's worst offensive game of the year. They had their lowest offensive efficiency ratings of the year in that game at Cameron. So is it possible for the Orange to play similar defense, hold Duke around the same point total, and have the SU offense gear up, right? Play better than it was a month ago. Can they get that contribution from O'Shea Brissett that they did not get at Cameron? Can they get that contribution from Marek Dolajai that they did not get at Cameron? And if they can do that while still playing some pretty good, pretty solid defense, they might be able to get the win. But I think it all starts with the defense, and specifically, it starts with the post-defense. It starts with Pascal in the middle. It starts with having to defend Wendell Carter at the free-throw line and Marvin Bagley in the low post. Because Bagley's going to go top five, and Wendell Carter's going to go top ten in the NBA draft. They are mega, super talents. They are great college basketball players, certainly on the offensive end. And you put the two of them together and you give them time and you give them space and they'll create problems for you. So, yes, Syracuse did fine defensively. They did really well defensively down at Cameron. But of the 60 points they allowed, 35 of them came from those two. I mean, just think about that. They held a high-powered offense to 60 points, 35 coming from Bagley and Carter. Now, I would imagine that three-point shooting won't be as atrocious as it was a month ago down at Cameron Indoor. I would imagine that it's not going to be as bad as it was at Cameron Indoor. But I don't know for sure. And if it is just that bad, then I think it's even more important to to throw a wrench in and stop Carter and Bagley and make them uncomfortable down low. Because then it's fewer points in total, right? If the three isn't falling, there are fewer points out there to be had. 
This game is going to come down to defense. We know that. We've watched this team all season long. We've watched this team this last week and a half. If they play good enough defense, they can beat teams. But how good is that defense going to have to be? Take a comment here from our Facebook live feed. Uh, Tim saying we have to score 65 to 70 to stand a chance. I tend to agree with him. Because even if you play great defense, even if you hold Duke to around what you did a month ago, right? You hold them in those that mid low to mid-60s. Well, then you still have to score more. You still have to score 65. This week, last week, Syracuse got it done allowing fewer than 60 points. That is incredible. That is incredible. They won three games scoring 60 or fewer points in the NCAA tournament. Remarkable. Hasn't happened in the shot clock era. Are they going to be able to do that again? I'm not so sure. Let's hit the phones. We've got David in Syracuse on the line. David, what's on your mind today? Hey, what do you guys think about Syracuse for a change since Duke knows how to attack our 2-3 zone? Just for a few possessions, like mixing up and throwing in a little bit of man. I mean, I don't think they have to do that, but just to throw them off a little bit. I mean, because they know really well how to attack our zone. So what do you guys think about that? I'll hang up and listen to what you guys have to say. And thanks for taking my phone call. And go Cues. Yeah, that's not happening. Uh, I think there's a a less than 0% chance that it happens, that Syracuse goes to a man-to-man uh, in the biggest game that they have this season. There is no way, no chance that happens uh, in this game. I, I would be uh, beyond shocked if they were to go to a man-to-man. Let's sneak in one more phone call here. we got Lazaro Sims uh, coming in studio, and he'll be with us next segment. We've got Dro in Clay on the line. Dro, good to hear from you. My brother, what's going on, man? Listen, um, here's the deal. You know, people in this town, we have zero chance to beat Duke. It's like playing, it's like Duke playing Lemoyne. Like, really, people? Look, Duke's a very good team. I also remind people in 2013, so is Indiana. My point is this. Our defense is much better now than it was a month ago when we played Duke. Okay? I agree. For starters. For starters, Okay. Obviously, Syracuse needs to score tomorrow night to win the game. If you keep this game closed, I'll give Pat from Syracuse his props to Duke is one and six in games by point by seven seven points fewer. So, if the game's under seven, Duke is uh, one and six in those games. Right. We lost the St. John's that come across. So, as you have to play a good game. The defense will be there. What we need to hope happen is that Tyus Bell has a Michael Carter-Williams uh, performance like he did against Indiana in 2013. The defense will be there. If you get enough baskets and this thing comes the wire, you get very interesting. I do think this will be a close game decided by about six points tomorrow night. I think if Syracuse wins, they win by one to two points. If Duke wins, they win by about five to seven. Yeah, It's I- going to be a nail-biting game. Yeah. And let me say this one. Danny yeah, Baldwin said it fast today. Why do people need an offensive game all the time? A good defensive battle is just as good as well. That issue mission State game was very exciting. So let's see what happens tomorrow night. But I'm I'm looking forward to it. Thoughts? Yeah, no, draw on with you. You mentioned the Michael Carter Williams game, uh twenty four points uh on on nine of nineteen shooting. Great game uh for Carter Williams in that uh in that sweet sixteen uh against uh, Indiana. I- I'm with you. I think this is going to be a very close game uh, by nature of what Syracuse does, right? Like, watch what they did over the last week. They slow it down. 
they play good defense. And when there are fewer possessions, in all likelihood, you're going to have a close game. If you can make Duke uncomfortable, if you can get him in close games, um, I, I think that that works into your favor. Syracuse has been good in close games. As of late, they were great at the start of the season in close games. I think that would play into their benefit. I, I think it'll end up being close. I'm curious to see how they attack Duke defensively with those two, with those two post players, uh, because that's really what caused problems for SU a month ago at Cameron. Let's take a timeout. We'll come back. We got Lazar Sims in studio. We're back after this on Orange Nation. Our take on the day's top stories. It's today's business on Orange Nation. All right. We got Jude in here with us again. Hello. Jude. Welcome back. We let you back in. I must have did a decent yeah. job. Yeah, we let you back. So uh, that's that's a good first step. Uh, what do you have for us? All right. Let's start with some uh, football, NFL football. The New York Giants have traded Jason Pierre-Paul and a fourth-round pick to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers for a third- and fourth-round pick. Is it possible the Giants are going to draft Bradley Chubb out of NC State with the number 2 pick? Uh, I hope not. I hope not. Not that I don't like Bradley Chubb. I actually really do. Uh, but I think that's a poor use of the second overall pick. Right. I think that the best the the two best uses in this order of the second overall pick are take a quarterback mm. and trade it. <gasps> yes. No, no Saquon? No. No. No, Saquon? no, 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 no. Uh, nothing against Saquon Barkley either. Awesome football player. Don't take him second overall. You have enough holes on this roster. You've got enough needs to fill. Draw, if you're not going to take your quarterback, which it is looking more and more like you won't. Mm. So if you're not going to take your quarterback, drop down, get some more picks. You could trade back to five. You could trade back to six. You could trade back to seven. Uh, ideally five if you trade with the Broncos. Broncos want to jump up, want to get their guy maybe in front of the Jets. right? Maybe the Broncos want to get in front of the Jets uh, and try and get their guy. You could drop back to five, and the first three go quarterback, quarterback, quarterback. Right? Right. And then the Browns have four, and you're left with a choice of Saquon Barkley or uh, Quentin Nelson or Bradley Chubb or whoever else you want. One of those three will be there if you're at five. And I think that that's got to be the Giants' mentality right now. Don't take a guy at two that you can get at five or six or seven. Right? And so I I think that it's in the Giants' best interest to either take Josh Rosen— or Sam Darnold if he's on the board, or Baker Mayfield, or whoever the quarterback is that they want. Baker? I want Baker. Oh. I want Baker. Spicy. Uh, But I think that that that's got to be the Giants' uh, MO here. If the quarterback that you want is on the board, take him at two, and if that quarterback's not there and you don't love one of the others, drop back. Right? Drop back a couple of spots, pick up another couple picks, Look what the Colts got for the number three pick. Right. The Colts got a lot for the Jets to just move up three picks. Right. They got three second rounders. If you can get that from the Broncos, take it and run. If the Bills trade up right, and get to seven or get to six, and then they'll give you six and some other stuff to get to two, take it and run. That's my Giants mentality. I'm with you, but I like Saquon. I'd take Saquon. I think he's the best player in the draft. I think Sa- no, I I really like Saquon Barkley too. I think this Giants team has too many holes to yeah. go take a running back right now. Yeah. And my theory on running back, it's a, it, it's similar to what I think about Bradley Chubb. Um I don't want to take them at 2 because I think the gap in their position between first round and third round is a lot smaller than the quarterback in the first round and the quarterback in the third round. Or the offensive tackle in the first round and the offensive tackle in the third round. 
So I think that you've got to draft one of those value positions if you're at two, if you're at five, if you're somewhere that early, if you're in the Giants position. Right. Uh, okay, let's move on to college basketball. Uh, the Pac-12 made a similar recommendation, but the Big East is now recommending that they replace the one-and-done policy, uh, which prohibits NBA teams from drafting players until they're at least 19 or one year removed from high school. They want to replace it with the two-or-none policy, which will require basketball players to who decide to go to college to commit for at least two seasons, or while high school players who declare for the draft will forfeit their college right. eligibility. Yeah, I don't hate this idea. I think it's better than what there is now, to be totally honest. Yeah. I think that uh, I, I think that what is in place now doesn't really benefit anybody. It doesn't benefit the uh, it benefits the schools to an extent. It benefits players. My personal preference would just be go back to what it used to be. If if a kid thinks he's good enough out of out of high school, right. let him go. And you know what? If he doesn't make it, he doesn't make it. I would leave open some kind of loophole where if a kid goes out of high school and goes undrafted, he can retain his eligibility and he can come into the NFL, uh, into the NBA, I should say. Um, I, I think that there should be something there um, that would allow that. But I, I don't necessarily think that you need to hold kids to a commitment. Right. Uh, because you know what? If there is no specific rule that says – you have to be in college for one year. I don't think that you'll have pe- as many people focused on treating it as just a, a, a stopgap, right. right? You know, when Carmelo Anthony came here, he didn't have to just be here for a year, right? right? Like, he decided to come to college. Um, I, I don't know. I don't remember. I was not here at the time. But I don't think that people saw it as like, oh, okay, he's just here for the year. He's not really paying attention in classes. Nobody cares. You know, the way that I think a lot of players who are one-and-dones or those high-level one-and-dones have gotten that reputation. Yeah. So um, I think that there's something to that. I, I think that, I'll honestly, just go back to what the old rule used to be. And it's here's the problem. The problem is that it's an NBA rule, not a college rule. Right. Right? The problem is that the that colleges can't really do anything about this uh, because if they implement a, a none or two, well, guess what happens? Nobody's allowed to go out of high school, so you're essentially saying it's a two and done. Mm. So I, I, I don't see how this is really going to change. I think it will change. I just don't know what the rule is going to be. I think that saying you have to stay for two years with the ability to go out out of high school is better than what there is now. I think that the old rule is the best for everybody involved, gotcha. except the NBA. <laughs> so it won't be that. All right, let's talk Johnny Manziel. Uh, he's getting another chance to, you know, reboot his career, sort of. Uh, Manziel will throw in front of several scouts on Thursday during the University of San Diego's Pro Day, since there are no quarterbacks that will be in attendance from the school. How realistic is it that Manziel will play again in the NFL? Uh, I don't think it is. I, I don't think it's realistic. I think the the ship has sailed. I th- that he's, it, it doesn't. I know it's only one team that he was with, but I, I don't get the feeling that he's going to get another chance. Um, I, I think, and it's it's a lot different, but I think that you, if he were to sign with somebody, you might have some of the Tebow effect right. where um, there's just so much of a circus and there's so much going on around Sensationalism. him. So I don't know that, you know, I don't know that if they if he were signed as a backup, like I don't know that it would work for the same reason why, you know, when Tebow was with the Jets, it just didn't work. When he was with the Eagles, it just didn't work because it was so sensationalized and there was so much hype and and, and craziness around the backup quarterback. And so I don't know that it would work for Johnny Menzel 
Um, you know, does he want to go? Is he going to be a guy? Like, is he a guy? And we talked about this yesterday. Is he a guy who's going to go play in that new spring league that starts next year? Yeah. You know, that would pique my interest. And you know what? If he can go and he could play in that league for a year, maybe a second year, and he shows that he can do well, okay. Like, maybe then he can get a shot in the NFL. Um, I I think that that league would be perfect for something like that. Oh, does Tim Tebow really want to play football again? Maybe he'll go do that. I doubt it, but maybe he does. You know, is there a college player who doesn't get drafted, doesn't look like he's going to get drafted, and wants to get out in front of scouts? Oh, maybe he can go do that. So... Um, I, I think that that's kind of where Johnny Manziel would fit in more so than the NFL. I don't think he's going to be an NFL quarterback. I think that ship has sailed. He's been out for he's been out for what three years now? Yeah, since twenty fifteen. Yeah, I, th- I think the ship has sailed. <laughs> All right, Dwight Howard of the Charlotte Hornets posted a monster stat line last night: thirty two points and thirty rebounds, joining Kevin Love as one of only two players to have gone thirty thirty in a game in the last thirty six years. Is Howard still an elite center in the league? I saw an incredible stat about this before I get to your question. There have been 54 30-30 games in NBA history. 54. 54. 44 of them were Wilt Chamberlain. I was going to say, I, th- I think, I, think I saw a different number. 44 of them were Wilt Chamberlain. Yeah. And that Wilt is, did it at 35. Yeah, yeah. that is insane. Uh, that is absolutely ridiculous. Like, essentially 90%, 80% if it's 54 to 44 80% of all 30-30 games one man. Uh, were one guy. Uh, to answer your question, no. Dwight is not a a dominant, what'd you say? Elite center elite, in the no, league. I'm, is there such thing as an elite center in the league right now? Yeah. I, mean, I don't know. I, Embiid, I'm not, okay, uh, but, Cousins, okay, and technically what, Anthony Davis. Okay, and what did you? What, what do those three have in common? They could do the pick and roll thing, yeah, which Dwight does, shoot. and they could shoot, and they can handle the ball. Right. So I think that there's now a very different mold of center. Like, you look at DeAndre Jordan, uh, you know, you look at Dwight Howard, Clint Capella, uh, like, okay, they could pick and roll. That's about all they need. And, um, you know, those Magic teams that Dwight was on where they put four shooters and and Dwight uh, were very ahead of, I I think, very ahead of their time. It was out of the mold of of the old uh, Phoenix Suns, the Dantoni and Nash Phoenix Suns. And and the Magic were kind of the next step. And then the the Warriors really are the next step out of that. But. You look at what Dwight does. Dwight is a good screener and a good roller, right? He can rebound. He can dunk. That's really it. And so um, I don't think he's an elite center. I think he is underappreciated. I think that when we look at him, um, and, you know, I asked this question with Steve at some point. I think it was maybe last year around June, May, May, June, maybe. uh, And we were talking NBA. um, And I said, Dwight Howard, a Hall of Famer? That was and my like, next question. And to like you. the fact that the fact that like I asked that question, I remember I got like a blowback from people who were like, How is that even a question? Of course he's a Hall of Famer. Like, look at it. And but that's my point. Look at his numbers, look at where he stands, and think about how dominant he was at his In peak. In Orlando, yeah. At his peak. Um, yeah, he's probably like a no doubter Hall of Famer. And no doubter? Uh, I think so. A, a I think doubt. so. No, I think he's a Hall of Famer. No and doubter Hall of Famer. He's close to that no doubter. And then look, he doesn't have the ring. He he was a, a little bit whiny, uh, and that won't help him. You're being generous here. I I, th- <laughs> I think that he look. He's a Hall of Fame talent, and he's a Hall of Fame player, uh, and he's put up some numbers, uh, you know, over the course of his career. Right. And when you think about how dominant he was at his peak, I mean, nobody wanted to deal with that. I think it's more for for me. It's more from a standpoint of how dominant he could have been 
like when you saw him coming out of Orlando and he moved on to, you know, like the Lakers and all these other things. Well, the Lakers was an awful fit for him. Terrible. Awful fit. But that was where he wanted to go. But even with Houston, it was like, you think this is going to work. I think he was even better in Houston than we think he was. He wasn't terrible, but I'm just saying, like, from what you saw in Orlando, you just assumed he would be, like, the next guy that no one would be able to stop. And you just never got that. Well, could stop him for a while. Well, he's, he's stoppable now. Yes. But look, he was averaging 20 and 20 and 15 in Orlando at his peak for two straight seasons and then he averaged he averaged 20 and 30, 20 and 14 four times in his NBA career. Right. His years in Houston, he went 18 and 12, 15 uh 16 and 10, 14 and 12. It's not like he was bad. It wasn't bad, but it's it's, it's not what you expected for the post, money you were paying. That was also you know? post peak. But yes, to your point. It's not what you expect for the money. This year he's at 16 and 12. Yeah. Having a solid year. Yeah, it's a solid year, but you know, it's not an all star. But um let's No, let's, not let, at all. Let's stick with NBA stat lines. Uh in a win against the Toronto Raptors last night, LeBron James became the first player ever to score thirty five points with seventeen assists and no turnovers. Is this a valid record in NBA yes. history or just an attempt <laughs> to glorify LeBron? It this is incredible. This right. is uh this is an incredible feat. And and Look, I look at LeBron James, and, and I'm not somebody who watched MJ during the 90s. Yeah. Like I, I was not, you know, uh, watching basketball in the in the mid to late 90s. I look at LeBron James, and I, I think of him as the greatest basketball player of all time. You know, I I really do, and I think a game like that last night kind of shows that and 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 exposes that a little bit more. Not only is he an incredible scorer, uh, he's an incredibly smart basketball player. You look right. at the play, you look at the play he made at the end where he's driving to the basket, kicks out to Kevin Love rather than going up for a, a contested two, he kicks out for a corner three, Love drains it. Um I, I think he's an incredibly smart basketball player. He's got the scoring ability of, you know, the great scorers of all time with the passing ability of name it. Magic Johnson, yeah. Jason Kidd, you know, who's who's your passer? That that you love watching, like he he's got the passing skills of of the greats too. Um, he's going to end up at the end of the day. He's and he also, by the way, had seven seven rebounds in that game. True. Yeah. So he at the end of the day, he's going to end up with in in what the top five scoring, top ten assists, and top ten rebounding. Rebounds, yeah. I I mean that's remarkable. That's remarkable. So, um, is it a legit like record? Like, is that going to go in the books? Like, no, I don't think so. But that is an incredible stat line. That is an incredible thing to achieve, though. Absolutely. Uh, all right, let's go back in October. We got one more? We got one more. Colin, Colin Coward said the Philadelphia 76ers couldn't win more than 40 games <laughs> and that he'd go on a show wearing a Sixers jersey if he was wrong. Last night, the Sixers got their 40th win beating the Memphis Grizzlies. Sixers big man, a known troll, took to Instagram, called out Coward, in fact, calling him a coward, uh, in his posts. Oh, I love Joel Embiid. Does Coward, in fact, wear the jersey? No, he's not going to. <laughs> There's no way he's going to. I love Joel Embiid, though. I I, I think that, um, I will say, I think that it, they surprised everybody. I don't think anybody thought they would be this good this, this quickly. Quick, yeah. um, you know, Joel Embiid is still, like, kind of, sort of playing in back-to-backs. Like, sometimes he does, sometimes he does. Simmons is finally healthy and playing yeah. and, and still can't shoot, but is is a force offensively. Um, and they don't even have Markel Fultz. Yeah. Like, they don't even have that next guy. So I'm really curious to see how this team evolves and moves forward. Right now they're a playoff team for sure. 
I saw they're a game and a half behind the behind the Cavs and behind the uh, the three seed yeah. in the East. Uh, they're going to be a really fun team to watch. For I like a long watch, time, I yeah. like watching them when I watch. I like the addition of of JJ Redick as as the veteran shooter defensive kind of guy. Um, and Joel Embiid is just a fun character, isn't yeah. he? Yeah, he he has fun. He doesn't hold back on anybody. But so yeah, Coward's not going to wear the jersey. I mean, he said he, he said There's he no was. Way. He said he was looking for one, and he couldn't find a Sixers jersey in all of L.A. Lies. <laughs> Lies. That was today's business brought to you by Grossman St. Amore CPAs. Located in downtown Syracuse, Grossman St. Amore CPAs provides businesses and individuals with tax planning and tax preparation services and strategies to help minimize your tax liabilities. Learn more about how Grossman St. Amore CPAs can optimize the financial opportunities for your business online at gsacpas.com. We'll take a break. Steve Infante going to phone in after this on ESPN Radio.